Merry Christmas on behalf of Christian Fellowship Church. How do you handle rules? Do you try to protect your authority? Would you do anything to keep that authority? Is it hard for you to surrender? Join Pastor Lucas O'Neill as we read in the book of Matthew and talk about a hard lesson from a hardened king. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that, had, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. What caused this mass slaughter of children? the fear of a king that a new sheriff is in town. You know, I mean, what drives somebody... I mean, we, we read this and we're going, this guy's a madman. You know, I mean, this, this guy's insane. And probably he was. He, this guy probably was certifiable. Like, if, he, if you just looked at him wrong, he'd kill you. He killed family members and spouses and, and his sons because, he's, you know, they were a threat to his throne. He just wanted to protect his throne. That's all he wanted. And he, he wiped out anyone and anything standing in his way to protect his authority on that throne. He'll kill kids, your kids, his kids, his wife, he doesn't care. Anything that threatens his power, anything that threatens the fact that he can remain in charge, he did something about it. Because that was his bottom line. His bottom line was to protect his authority. And so we look at this and we know... John tells us, the passage that we looked at last night, Revelation 12, we know what's really happening. He might have been insane, but what's really happening is there's someone else behind the curtain manipulating the strings on this puppet. And that's Satan. That's the dragon. Right? That's how he tried to devour the child. The dragon used and manipulated Herod. But do you think Herod, after he died, stood before the Lord and the Lord said, you know what? You were just being used as a puppet. It's all good. Come on in. No, he had responsibility. And in his responsibility, he chose to protect his authority versus recognizing the inherent authority in that child, Jesus. I mean, other people recognize it. From the East, these wise men, these magi, these sages, these astronomers, they come and they read the stars and, they, and God uses the fact that they like looking at stars and He's like, alright, I'll, I'll hook you up. You know, and He uses a star and it's really low-hanging and it's kind of not very much like a star. And I mean, you know, you can navigate with stars, but to, to pinpoint a house, this is like GPS coordinates, right? Like, right here. And they make their way to the place to, to worship. And they pull out gifts of frankincense and myrrh and gold. Why do they do that? Why not like a baby rattler? You know, why, why, why that? 
Because he's a king. That's what you give a king. And so his king, his, it's all about his, his kingness. Matthew, if you look at the first page in chapter 1, you have this long genealogy, and we read it, and it's like real boring, and you're like so-and-so, and so-and-so. <laughs> but why is he doing that? He's trying to track that Jesus was traced back to David, just proving he's king. This is not just any kid. This kid is where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be, and from whom he's supposed to be. This is the king. Everyone recognized it, even Herod. But Herod was greatly troubled. He was troubled by this, and that's what drove him to reject Christmas. Um, So then my question is, what do we have in connection? Now, Some of you may be sitting there and going, I have no connection to Herod. (laughs) That's just crazy. I'd never kill babies. I'd never kill my spouse because I feel threatened. I'd never kill my own children because I feel threatened by them. That's just insane. I don't have money like Herod had. I don't have power. I don't have soldiers guarding my house. I have nothing to do with Herod. I think that's where we completely miss miss what this chapter is offering us. An insight into humanity. Now, I've got I to just be honest. Let's just do an exercise in honesty. Like, if it were me, and I did have power, and I was a king, and I did have people under my control. And then a baby is born. And I know in my heart of hearts, I know it. I know that baby is the real king. Now maybe I wouldn't slaughter everybody. But would I go and worship in the stable? Like, yes, I can't wait, you little guy, till you grow up so I can hand you my stuff. You can have my house, you can have my things and take over. Here you go. That would be really hard. You know why I know it's hard? Because it's hard for me to surrender to Christ on just mundane things. When Jesus calls me out on just normal things, it's hard to surrender. You know, when we're little kids, we follow and we do what mom and dad do. You know, if if mom and dad eat cereal for breakfast, we eat cereal for breakfast. If mom and dad go out on weekends, we go out on weekends. If mom and dad like camping, you go camping. If mom and dad are, are homebodies and never go out, you're a homebody and never go out. When you're a little kid, you don't know any different. And you don't know any better, and you just do what mom and dad do. You're, you're spoon-fed. They cut your food for you in little bite-sized pieces. You eat what they eat, and, and, and that's just how it is. Then you get older, and you hit this rebellious teenage stage where you're smart. Your parents are dumb. They don't know anything. You know everything, and all your friends at school know everything, and they're just stupid. And if you're kind of not careful in that stage, you go off to college still in that mindset, and then eventually you either fall flat on your face or you come to recognize, like, well, mom and dad did know some things. Let me fix my life. Hopefully I didn't fall apart too badly. Put it back together. You find someone you like. You get married. You move in. You have kids. And then you go, oh, my goodness, I'm mom and dad. The first time you go, hey, you eat your veggies. Oh, I swore I'd never tell my kids that. Now I'm telling them that. You better be home by 10. Oh, I thought I'd never say that. I'd never do that to my kids. I swore it. Yeah, but now you're a dad. But something happens in that transition. When you're a little child, and you don't question the rules, really. You question the rules later when you're a teenager, but in the the beginning, really, there's not a lot of questioning of the rules. And then at some point, you kind of question those rules when you become a man or a woman. And you have your own house, your own place. You have to decide what your rules are going to be. 
Okay, now you're starting to weigh. Hmm, I like this from mom and dad, but this I didn't really like so much. And this was a pretty good idea, but you know what? This isn't the 1950s anymore. This isn't the 1970s anymore. This is today, and this is different. They never had to deal with this. You know, they got in trouble for gum. You know, the kid next to me in class is, you know, smoking crack or something. You know, I mean, it just keeps getting worse. And, and so you have to kind of sift through, and then you make your own rules, and you're in charge. And I think there's a little bit of a parallel to that in our Christian lives. When you're a baby and you come to Jesus, you're all on fire for God, right? A lot of us, we came and, and we tasted that the Lord is good and we gave our lives to Jesus and we're suddenly like, oh my goodness, what are we supposed to do? You know, have any of you ever had the opportunity to disciple someone who's a baby Christian? They're just like wanting, they just want food and you're just feeding me like, okay, how about read the book of John? And they like, read it, what's next? And you're like, well, how about Matthew? And you just, you, you know, they just want verses and they're like, what are you supposed to do? Devotionals every day? Okay, how about twice a day? I have a Muslim friend, he prays five times a day. Should I top that? How about I double that? Ten times a day? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because in the back of your mind, you're going, you're just a little baby. Aww. Eventually, you're going to grow up and realize you can't do devotionals every day. Eventually, you're going to grow up and realize you can't memorize all the verses. Eventually, you're going to memorize, you're going to grow up and you're going to realize you can't obey every message that you hear every Sunday. Some of them you'll hear and some of them will just go out the window. That's life. Eventually, you grow up and you lose that sort of innocent childlike faith where you just don't question the rules and don't question anything. You just are thirsty and hungry and you just want to do. And somewhere along the way we spiritualize complacency and we kind of make excuses for it. And we lose that flame. We lose that passion. I think it's no wonder why Jesus said, you see these little kids? You see these little children? You're supposed to be like them if you want to follow me. Why? Because children will just go with it. Children aren't looking for the rational explanation behind everything. That's why you could dupe them into believing in a Santa. To, you know, you put the tooth under there and a little fairy comes in. Oh, yeah? Right? Try that on a 40-year-old. And they're like, I, need, I, I have someone you can talk to. Um, you, he has a nice leather couch and he'll just listen to you and ask you about your feelings. Um, but, but children, you know, they have this ability to believe. They have this ability to, to attach themselves to faith without reasoning, without question, without... without drawing lines around things and without doing things safely. I think Jesus' point was you've got to stop remaining in charge and go back to a place where you're completely dependent on someone else who's in charge. That's the essence of being a child. You can't reach the cereal box. You can't pour the milk yourself. You can't grab the thing. You can't cook. You can't you know, make your bed. You can't do anything. You're a little baby. And he's saying if you're a child, you depend on me for everything and that's the kind of follower I need. Now, the basic issue of sin is rejecting that. The basic issue of sin goes back to the Garden of Eden. And man, if I eat that apple, I don't have to depend on God to know right from wrong. I can know it for myself. Now, when Satan told them that, he wasn't lying. But they lost that innocence, and they decided to do things their way. Right? That's the basic. Now, you can call it pride, call it self-idolatry, call it whatever you want. Now, Herod's issue was exacerbated because he had power, because he was probably demonic. I think Revelation 12 helps us see that it was demonic. It was satanic. Uh, he was evil, and he had power to do evil things. Now, we may not escalate to that red zone, but we might have, we, we, each of us have this little tiny kernel down here. 
my son proved it last night in the middle of service. <laughs> Running up and down the aisles, Wah! what is that inside of him? He's two. Now, we didn't teach him that at home. Now, when you're upset, flail your arms and run up and down, even if we're all praying in a service. Just run up and down. Nobody cares. It's all about you. You don't teach this, guys. It's wired in him. Because two fools back in the day bit a fruit in a garden. That's why he's like that. Okay? And we're all like that. Now, as we grow older, we just learn to manipulate it. We just learn to control it. We just... And then on the way home in the car, I can't believe that service was so stupid. I can't believe that person sat next to him. Hopefully we're not doing that. But, you know, when things upset us, right, we just have the little child, a little angry child comes out. Because no matter what age you are or when you live, this is the same issue. And we call it pride. You can call it self-idolatry. But the, at the core, at the core of what it is, it's wanting to remain in charge. Now, is it all that different from what Herod was doing? Okay, we don't, kill, we don't kill little babies to do it. But at the core, do we have this desire to remain in charge? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I want to show you something else I found really interesting. And I caught this real late in the game. So I threw it into the sermon late. But check this out. If you look at chapter 2, what we just read, in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And who else was troubled? All of Jerusalem with him. Now hold on a second. They weren't all kings. They weren't all baby killers. They weren't all wife killers. They weren't all son killers. They didn't all sit on a throne. They didn't all have political power. All Jerusalem was troubled with them. Now I got to say, when it says all Jerusalem, I don't think it meant every man, woman, child, person in the town of Jerusalem. I think it meant all the, uh, all the leaders, all the scribes, all the Pharisees, all the people that were prominent, all the people that were important, people that would represent Israel. When you say all Israel is gathered here together, it's like all the leaders of Israel and all the little babies and the, and the children and the wives. And the, but, but it does say all Jerusalem with him. And so you have these people that he calls in verse 4. Assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Right there they tell him the answer. Oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. What does that tell you? All these people that are troubled by the birth of Jesus are the same people that are experts in looking for the birth of Jesus. They know where he's going to be born. They know that this is the real deal. And they know that it's Jesus the King, the one they've been waiting for. But yet they're troubled by it. Why? Because they like Herod. Herod lets them do what they want. Herod lets them turn religion into some sort of fascist community where you can take advantage of poor people. You know, this, this, whole, uh, this whole gig that they had going on was using religion, right, as, as a game for something else. But it wasn't about God. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about the Messiah. It was just, it was just like today, like when you just do church. It's just a building. It's just a, it's just a religion. You got a Bible, blow it off on the Sundays that you decide to show up. I mean, you know, like when somebody just does church as a religion, you know, and on their army dog tags it says Christian, but... You know, what else were they going to check off on the, on the recruitment list, right? 
I mean, it's just a religion. Everybody out there says they're Christian. Everybody out there says they're born again. We have to keep redefining terms that we use. We went from born again to evangelical. Now we're back to Christian. Now Christian is in danger because it doesn't mean anything anymore. When everybody checks that off on the census and no, nobody's, nobody's engaged in relationship. That's what was going on here. They were experts in the word. They knew the verses. They knew the scripture. And they knew who that child was, yet they were troubled by it. Why? Because that child was going to strip them of their power, strip them of their uh, self-reliance, and demand that they rely solely on him. That's why they're troubled by it. How can you possibly be troubled by a baby born in a stable somewhere? Only if you know who that baby is. And if that baby is supposed to be the true king, and he's truly king, that means he's in charge. That means he demands everything. That means you're not in charge. That means you can't command anything. I mean, does that bother you? It bothers me. It bothers me every time I read the Word and I go, ooh, ow, I'm not supposed to, yeah. You know, when the Holy Spirit just keeps prodding you and He's like, you're supposed to fix that. That's Jesus saying, I'm king and there's still some unconquered territory in your heart, man. I got I to gotta take that over. And we're troubled by it. So now, when we gather at Christmas and we see a little manger in a tree, or under a tree in a, in a, in a trough. And we, and we look at this baby and, and we're going, okay, this is what Christmas is about. Does that bother me? I should a little bit. I should a little bit. I, I, you know, I didn't plan on bringing this up, and I, I don't mean to malign anybody or anything like that, but when Christmas, falls on, when Christmas Day falls on a worship day, how do we lose worshipers? I, you know, I don't get it. And I know some people are out of town, and some people book stuff and everything else. But I, I was sitting at a table with some pastors, and one of the pastors just said, um, you know, I don't think we should have it on Sunday. I said, really? Why? And he's like, I just don't think anyone's going to show up. Yeah, but should they show up? Should they show up? Okay, now we have tradition, opening presents, uh, the desire to not get up early. The desire to stay up late on Christmas Eve to do those traditions. Um, in my family, we had those traditions too. Um, and we have that and it comes into conflict with worship. Even though this is a tradition about worship and we go, oh, the opening of gifts is to commemorate the gifts that they gave Jesus, the baby. Whatever, man. That's just a... Come on. I'm not against gifts. I'm just saying. <laughs> we could spiritualize it, but... Gifts is because you want a, a, a piece of jewelry, you want a gift card, you want stuff for yourself. Let's just be real. Gifts is because we like things. Okay, We're a materialistic culture. Okay, I, I, I want to take my kids to a country where on Christmas morning, they go, where's the tree? How come there's not 13 you know, presents for each child underneath the tree? Because this isn't America. This is the real world. <laughs> And we allow the, the tinsel and the, the, the baubles and whatever, you, the words that we never use any other time of year. And we allow all that stuff. And it's good. It's good stuff. But, but underneath all that wrapping and paper and lights and stuff is a message of a king. And it's a troubling message because it's supposed to strip you of all self-loyalty and bring you to a place where you're on your knees and you worship the king that demands everything from you. So we see there wasn't just Herod's problem. It was everybody who's anybody in Jerusalem had the same problem. And we see that throughout the Bible. Right? We see it throughout the Bible. 
Uh, people who have something and they don't want to lose it, and Jesus challenges them on it, and they can't follow Jesus because they can't lose that thing. Remember the rich young ruler? I've done everything. I obey all the law. I memorize all the scripture. What am I supposed to do? He's like, you know what? Why don't you take all your money, sell it to the poor, and then come follow me? And the rich young ruler just went like this. Just walked away. Just walked away. Couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Jesus turns to everybody and goes, do you know how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven? For someone who's rich to get into heaven? You know how hard it is? It's like a camel going through an eye of a needle. Now, if you're like me, you have a hard time getting a thread through an eye of a needle, okay? And I'm like, you know, trying to... A camel through an eye of a needle. Now, obviously, a camel can never fit through an eye of a needle. It's, it's a hyperbolic expression. He's exaggerating, okay? We do it all the time. His point is it's basically impossible. Why? Because God goes, you have money. I don't like you. Of course not. Of course not. It's because when we have money, we don't need God. That's why. Why is, why is the fastest growing hubs of Christianity South America and China? They don't have stuff, guys. That's why. Why is it dead in Europe? Dead. Christendom is dead in Europe. And why is it teetering into, you know, on the cusp of death in America? We don't need it. We're all smart. We got science. We figured out evolution. Who needs God? You know, we, we, we have our heads are full of stuff, education. We've got a bunch of things that make us comfortable. We don't need it. That's why Jesus said you, you have to return to this childlike state where you go, I, I need him to eat. I need him to, to live. I need shelter from him. I need everything from him. I'm a little child. Not the old crabby adult that somewhere along the way just forgot what it was to worship a king. So we see that it's all over the Bible. John explains why. In John chapter 3, Jesus is sitting down with Nicodemus, and he's one of these Jerusalem leaders, but he comes and pulls Jesus aside, and he's like, explain this to me, explain this to me. And one of the things Jesus explains is, you know, the light came into the darkness, but the darkness rejected it because they liked the darkness. And you know why they liked the darkness? Because the darkness covers their sins. Light exposes sin. Nobody wants it exposed. They want it protected. They want to keep it. Why? Because it's all about what they want to do. I mean, just think, just close your eyes and think of the top five sins that you could think of. Just think of five sins. And you can immediately see how each of those five things, why would you ever do them? Why would you do them? Because you're selfish. That's why. You want to serve you. In that moment, it seems good to bite that fruit. And that's why you do it. It tastes good to me. It looks good to me. It's going to fill my stomach. And I want it. You cover it with your eyes. You take it. You eat it. You sin. It's all about me being in charge and doing what I want to do. That's, the, that's Christianity 101. Jesus' birth and being born in that manger troubled people because they knew he was, he was coming to rule. He was coming to take over. And that troubled them. I think it troubles us too. Christ always wants more. Uh, he always wants more. It's, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of tiring to be a Christian sometimes, just to be, just to be totally clear and, and candid. It gets tiring to be a Christian because you never arrive. Now, how many of you would run a marathon that like never ends? You know, the laps just get harder, the sun just gets hotter, and then there's going to be points where you hit a stride and you're like, "Ooh, that was like a little, you know, those little shots of glucose or whatever they take, and you get that little shot and you feel good and you can you can do another mile or whatever." 
I'm not speaking from experience, so help me out. Right? <laughs> I'm not a runner. Um, but, you know, you get that little shot and you feel pretty good. Adrenaline kicks in. You feel pretty good. You round that lap where all your family's waiting for you with your sign and you feel real good. That's another shot. So there's good times. There's, there's, there's good times, okay, but there's a lot of hard times. And if you're really growing as a Christian, you're really pushing hard after God, you're really advancing as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there's going to be those tough times. And you, the reason why it's tough is this growing pains. He's always calling you out on something. I remember when I was a teenager, my family has, my family has a, uh, a history of, of you know, bad cholesterol and bad hearts. And it's probably because we fry everything. We're like, this tastes horrible. Fry it. Now I'll eat it. You know, I mean, that's basically, you know, you go to Puerto Rico and you just, you just fry everything, okay? Um, and, you know, it, so I don't know how much of it is hereditary and how much of it is like, well, maybe if we stopped frying everything, okay. So my mom's a pharmacist and she's real, you know, kind of paranoid sometimes about this stuff. And she just wants to, she kind of, you know, she knows all the pills and she's like, honey, you know, you need to check out your cholesterol. I got a guy at the pharmacy tomorrow, come on by and you're going to, that's a horrible impersonation of my mom, right? Don't let her hear the recording. So anyway, so I go and they they take my blood and they do this, the sample and it comes back and and the cholesterol is high. I'm like 17 years old. Um. My mom was like, oh, you got, you got Lipitor, and you got you know, these pills, and we'll take one, and we'll try this one. And I'm like, whoa, no, okay, drug pusher, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right? I'm, not, I'm not popping pills, mom. I don't, I'm 17 years old. I'm not popping pills. And the little Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pop it open and have it with your toast. No, I'm not doing that. I'm 17. I just refused, okay? I said, here's what I'll do. Uh, give me a month. I forget what I said. I think it was like a month or something like that. Give me a month. I'll work out. I'll exercise. Eat better. And then let's take the blood test again. No medication. Okay. Okay. You know. Okay. So I do it. And I got to tell you, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was actually healthy or not. But okay. I tried. I did better. I go back, get the blood test again. And the doctor sits down. He goes, okay. Well... And I'm just waiting for the news, you know. And he goes, now, the good news is your cholesterol's down. Your numbers are down. And I go, yes. Are they below what they should be? Yeah. And I'm like, mission accomplished. And he goes, but what? Your good cholesterol's down too. I'm like, by what? (laughs) Yeah, you have good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. You lowered the bad, but you also lowered the good. Now you're eating too good. You got to make sure you raise the raise the good and drop the high. HDL, LDL, and and quantum physics and stuff that I don't remember what he said. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna just be candid, right? I left there like I'm done with that stuff. I'm done with that. This is ridiculous. Now now it's a whole other level. See, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about cholesterol. Then my mom took me to that level. And then I did good, and then I came back, and now they opened another level. It's like Pandora's box. Now if I get the HDL and LDL, when are you going to come back? You're going to start talking about plaque. You're going to start talking about triglycerides. You're going to start talking about all this other stuff. And before you know it, I've got to live 24-7 in some sort of scientific facility in in some kind of bubble where I never breathe pollution. And I I mean, I just felt like it's a never-ending road. Just forget it. (laughs) I'll just run a few times a week, and I'll just eat normal food, and I won't have McDonald's every day, and I think I'll live, Okay, it's discouraging when you keep peeling back and you see layers. Now, I hate to use a negative example like that and compare it to Christianity, but the reason why I'm doing it is because it's true, guys. You come to Jesus and he's like, fix this disgusting thing in your life. And you're like, okay, I need your help, Jesus, and you fix it. 
And then now once that, once that dust settles, you see something else. I didn't realize that was there. I know, you couldn't see it because this big ugly thing was in the way. But now that that's out of the way, I need you to fix it. <sighs> All right, you know, let's work on this. And you've got to fix this. All the while making sure that first beast doesn't come back into your life. And then he goes, now that you're managing those two and keeping those under, I want to take you into this hallway and deal with this other closet that you got. Are you serious? I thought we were just right here. No, I'm going into the hallway and then the attic, you know, to George Mueller's uh, My Heart Christ Home. He wants the whole house, guys. He's, he, he wants the basement, the attic, and anywhere you're hiding something, he keeps exploring, examining, and, and finding things out. He wants to be king, not just uh, prince of a room. He wants to take over. That's what troubled Herod. That's what troubled everyone in Jerusalem. That's what troubles us, guys. We don't want to be taken over. We want to protect our little things. And Jesus doesn't have that. He presses, he pushes, he keeps giving you that blood test and he keeps giving you the results. You may not want to hear the results, you may not want to hear the, the, the diagnosis of what to do about the results, but if you don't, you, 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 you're not following Christ, you're not healthy, you're not what you're supposed to be. Um, so we see in this passage that he was rejected by some and he was worshipped by others and that's the choice we have to make. Where we, like the wise men, we come in and we fall on our knees and we worship and we just, we just recognize Him as King. Uh, we don't give frankincense and myrrh. That was just a symbol of recognize Him as in charge. You're in charge. This little baby right here is in charge. And that's what Christmas demands of us. Now every time we open Scripture, the Bible tells us that Scripture, it, it, it's profitable for training and reproof and correction. Listen, it, it cuts and corrects so that it can heal. You know, we don't like hospitals. We're like, oh, syringes and scalpels and stitching and everything. Why would you go in there and let people cut you? It's for healing. What? Why would they cut me to heal me? Well, it makes sense. But spiritually, it's the same way. You know, you come and, and remember Peter's first sermon in Acts? First sermon, he preaches. And the people come up to him. And the, the, Luke tells us they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said, what do we do, Peter? What do we do? He said, repent and believe. Come and follow Jesus. And they did it. 3,000 people came to the Lord that day because they were cut to the heart, not because they were tickled. Now, we want to fill this church? That's easy. That's easy. I just got to open up the Bible, talk about how God wants you to be rich. God will fix your finances. God will heal you of everything. You know, put a couple fake people, plant it in the back row, have them come up. I touch them, they fall over, and then people just start coming, guys. But we don't want to fill pews. We want, to, we want people to be cut to the heart. We don't want to just scratch where people itch. We want to help them understand where the rash is coming from. And that troubles us. But it troubles us not in a, a life-ending sense. It troubles us in the sense like, wow, that makes me uncomfortable. But you know what? If I allow him to deal with this, on the other side of that is healing. On the other side of that is joy. On the other side of that meaning of Christmas. At first I feel challenged by that king. Ooh, and I don't want him to see this. And I want to kind of protect this under some dark cover. But if you let that light shine in, you can deal with it. Um, I just want to pray for you guys um, as we all go. I know uh, most of you or all of you probably have you know, Christmas Day plans. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you guys are here. I feel very honored uh, and encouraged. That, um, that this church isn't empty on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning just because it's Christmas. That's still having a hard time. But, but I'm so encouraged that you guys are here. I want to just pray a prayer of blessing over you before we close in our final worship. Um, um, and then after that prayer, 
um, after a couple moments, we'll just pass uh, the offering plates. If you're new here, um, don't, don't feel obligated to give or if you're not regular. Um, but for those who are regular and you're expecting that basket, it'll come uh, during the, uh, uh, just before the first song. But let me pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you that you sent a king because none of us could be king. None of us could live the perfect life, uh, a sinless life, a blameless life. None of us could have endured the suffering that you endured um, um, without, um, without going off the rails at some point. We thank you that you sent your king. And even though it troubles us, it bothers us to, to surrender, it hurts to give up uh, authority. We want to remain in charge, Lord. We ask that you would strip us of that and help us come to a place and to a point where we rejoice to surrender to you. That when you call us out on something, we know it's for our good. And even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if we need accountability partners, even if we need to get, go to two small groups and, and, and just spend more time in your word just to gain what we need, uh, give us that strength, give us that grace and that energy that we need to be serious about your kingship, your lordship over our lives. Um, we don't want to partner with you. We want you to take over. Uh, help us to see that. See that we need that. And help us to stay in line uh, underneath your grace, your umbrella of mercy um, as you lead us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca, Illinois.